0: And now your host, multi-millionaire, national award-winning investor, CEO, and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley.
1: Welcome to the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Well, it started to happen, guys. I've told you that in the past couple of weeks and months that uh, the prices would come down as interest rates Got higher, it, prices had to come down, as people started running into problems with the adjustable rate mortgages. Uh, deals would come, would be coming available, uh, so to speak, and uh, they have. And I closed two deals about a week ago, and I'm closing one today, and they're out there now. One of the things that I have the privilege of doing is paying cash to close deals, then come back afterwards and pick my financing very carefully some of you are going to have to have your financing available to you and uh that's a weapon you know it's a tool like whichever way you look at it if you're out there fighting the war of investment or if you're out there building your portfolio whichever one it's either a weapon or a tool but the reality is you need to have access to the understanding of how this stuff works now we have at lifestyles some very very good mortgage companies that work very closely with all of our members i brought one of them on today um, that is you know, going to share with us as much as they can about where the marketplace is at right now. So I want to go ahead and get him on so we can start hearing what he has to say. His name is Sean Givens out of uh, Colliers International. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, let, let's start the conversation off with um, on, by the way, we're, we're talking today, folks, about commercial financing on apartment complexes. We'll, we'll get single family in another day, but we want to specialize today on, in commercial deals specifically, most likely, apartment complexes. So, uh, Sean, let's, let's talk about where have you seen rates go in the last 30 days to 60 days? I guess 30 days is probably more relevant because that's what we're living with.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, there's been a significant reduction in rates in the last 30 to 60 days. We've, we've priced some deals in low sixes, and we've even had clients that want to do some buy-downs, and we're sub-6%, so very different from where they were six months ago.
1: So that's um, that's getting back to what I would consider even below normal interest rates again. Uh, you know, I looked it up after, after all this Fed started raising rates and everything. I just had to know what was the facts behind it because I've been in this for 35 years. And what was the average interest rate during the last 50 years has been 7%. So to be back to 6%, that's actually, you know, back to a number that makes sense on a lot of deals. Are you seeing the deal volume pick up yet?
2: Significantly. I want to say, including portfolios, we've signed up about 49 deals in the last week and a half. Wow. Significantly increased. And just looking at apartment multifamily quotes, I think including Lifestyles members, but just across the country, we're probably quoting 20 deals a week. People are getting closer and closer, so they're sending deals over, saying, hey, size this up because I'm close. So I will tell you the disparity between uh, interest rates and cap rates is starting to make sense again.
1: Wow, I didn't even realize it was that high, Sean, to be honest with you. That's, that's yeah, quite great.
2: Yeah, quite a few. That is great. great. What, do people,
1: what do people need to think <laughs> about now at this point in time? Are those 6% rates, or is that an adjustable rate or is that a fixed rate?
2: Those are fixed. Low 6% are fixed. Obviously, there's, there's different Different things that go into getting to that rate, affordability components, based on the sizing, leverage, what tier you are. But low low sixes to mid sixes is where a lot of deals have been priced today, depending on where that leverage and the other pieces of the deal fall on the scale for multifamily. And it's all fixed.
1: So we're getting back to where cap rates have come up anywhere from uh, you know six. And, uh, you know, probably average six, six and a half, something like that. And so that's making these numbers actually not a negative amortization or negative arbitrage. I'm sorry. Uh, At some point, it's, it's probably about break even right now. So that means you're at least making money on the money you invested and the mortgage isn't losing you money like it was. I don't know if there's really an answer to this. I would assume there is. But the people that were stuck in these adjustable rate mortgages. These things adjusted up against them for the last six months, just bang, bang, bang. It's killing them. Now the interest rates have dropped down a little bit. Is that going to relieve some of that? Will some of those interest rates go back down or not?
2: It's it's doing a few things. So we had several clients on the adjustable loans that had rate caps coming due. Mm -hmm. The cost of a rate cap has dropped significantly, so there's savings there. And now they're looking at maybe just fixing them if they're stabilized versus – continuing the floater. So it is helping. We actually have a, probably seven or eight deals right now, nice size apartment assets, that are all being resized because the numbers are pretty close to working now to, to come out of the bridge loan into perm debt. Right,
1: okay, so it's, uh, it's a situation where some people are starting to, or are now possibly being able to salvage some of those deals that we thought were gonna go down. Are you getting any indication from being on the mortgage side of everything what the what the losses are going to be. I mean, I, I had someone tell me the other day that he, one of the brokers, I went to a, an event uh, with an economist the other day, and uh, a broker came up to me and said, you know, he's, he's hearing that there's, you know, 800 deals waiting to, to go into foreclosure, be taken over by the bank or whatever. But then the economist is saying, well, it's sort of fake it, hide it, put it off. And it's going to go away. You know, what do you think on that? What's your your insight into that?
2: I think it's somewhere in the middle because what, what always seems to happen and tends to happen in the markets is a lot of groups try and find a solution first, and several of those will figure out a workout. In fact, we help clients with that quite often. So there are there are going to be solutions where a deal can make sense, whether it's an equity call, which people prefer not to do, or some other way to restructure it to where a deal does make sense. We are seeing some deals quietly trade. Sellers just saying, I can't, I can't make it work. And buyers saying, okay, these prices do work. I'll take today's race. So the, there are deals that sellers are just selling for, for their cost to get out from under loans. But I will tell you, I think it's going to be maybe somewhere in the middle of that. I don't think it'll all be doom and gloom as rates continue to drop because the numbers will make more sense.
1: Remembering that most of the audience out there are layperson, but let's talk about the fact that not only does the interest rate that loans are based on go up and down, which is you know the 10-year treasury, or what is the one now called that used to be uh, the European bank rate? Now I don't even know what it's called anymore. What,
2: we, oh, Libor, the LIBOR swaps? Now we have yeah. SOFR.
1: SOFR, okay. So do they still use SOFR, or is it tied to treasury? What What's stuff tied to now?
2: SOFR is used purely for floating loans. Fixed loans are used, are, are really based off the Treasury, typically. There are so far swaps, if you want to get really technical, but most most fixed loans are based off the Treasuries.
1: All right. So, we have the Treasury going up and down and so forth uh, that the mm-hmm. Fed controls. But I know from my experience that sometimes just the feeling of what banks think is going to happen in the future changes their perception to the point that they're willing to change how much above and beyond that interest rate they're willing to write a mortgage for. Can you explain that to people? How does that interest rate affect the mortgage company, and then why do they write it at different rates above and beyond that at different times?
2: That's a great question, because people people assume they look at the market and see what the Treasury is, and rates will be pretty consistent off that Treasury, but the variable is also lender spreads, right? So, when you say a spread of, let's say, 200, for example, that just means 2%, or 300 is 3%. So, what, what you find in tumultuous markets or when there, there's uncertainty in the market, the treasuries don't just go up. Lenders build risk into their spreads. So, instead of having in a really aggressive market or a hot market where banks are fighting for deals, you might see a 170 or 180, so a 1.7% spread. In today's market, some some regional banks might give you a 28 or 3% spread. And so you're really dealing with two issues, not just the increasing treasury rates over the past six months that have happened, but also banks building in risk and blowing out their spreads as well.
1: Now, this is an interesting one I've always had a question about. And I've run the numbers every which way but loose and never really liked <laughs> myself, but maybe I'm not seeing it right. Explain to me why someone would do a buy-down.
2: You have to look at your break-even point. So if you're planning on holding this loan for a couple years, I would tell clients it's not worth a buy-down. If you're holding a loan for 10, 10 years, what you can do is look at the inflection point at which that buy-down starts to make you money, and maybe it's in year 6 or year 7, but at some point you break-even and then it's profitable. But it's, that's a great question, and it's something you should always ask us. Hey, if I look at a buy-down, does it make sense, and when does it break-even? And we'll size it, because there are times it just doesn't make sense. But oftentimes it does for, for yield. And also, sometimes investors are looking to show the, the greatest returns on a deal and make it look like it's in the best light. And so a rate buy down shows it positively.
1: Yeah, well, where I ran into it, and I guess it's why it gave me a negative taste in my mouth, is that brokers, uh, mortgage not mortgage, uh, real estate sales brokers, were trying to sell us pieces of real estate that the price was too high and you guys couldn't, couldn't bring us uh, financing for anything greater than 60% loan-to-value. Sometimes 55% right. loan to value I mean, it was just ridiculous. The prices were so out of whack. But what they would try to do then is, we'll go do a buy-down. <laughs> because not only <laughs> does your interest rate go down, but your debt coverage ratio allows them to lend you more dollars. Can you explain to people how that works?
2: Sure. When you structure a loan, there's almost every single time, I mean, we, sometimes they we use a debt yield, but for the sake of this discussion, debt coverage ratio, meaning your debt service you pay out versus the income that the property brings in, needs to usually be 1.25%. So when the prices are higher and rates are higher, you hit that 1.25% at a lower leverage that's what you said. When you're 50%, 55%, the numbers don't work. Because the variable we don't change is the the income on the property, right? In the short term, the rent is what the rent is. What we can change is the purchase price. And and what I will tell you, a lot of investors today have taken your advice, Dale, and they're now saying, okay, size it as it is, and now tell me where I would need to be to be at a 70% loan-to-value, and that's where I'm going to offer. So, I, I am seeing a lot of that today. But... In general, we're sizing the current rent on the property based on today's rates and coming up with a number. That number is 50% leverage if you have negative leverage and the price is significantly higher than the cap rate. And if the price is, sorry, if the, if the cap rate is much higher than the interest rate. And if the adverse is the case, then you're getting higher leverage.
1: So on this stuff that you're saying is coming out at 6%, 6.5%, whatever, what kind of leverage are you seeing kind of average across the board now for just a normal deal?
2: This year has been a lot better. This year we've closed actually with several lifestyles members. We've closed three deals over seventy percent leverage, and we just priced shockingly the first deal I've seen in two three years a deal at seventy nine percent leverage, which is wow. You that's never see that in the last year. That's back it's to a normal. Deal. Hey that's Sean. Deal.
1: I want you to give out your contact information so people can get with you. We've got to end this segment here and uh, go ahead and give out your information.
2: Yeah, we've created an email address just for lifestyles. It's L U D E B T Q O T E at Colliers, C O L L I E R S dot com.
1: Sean, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. For the rest of you, we'll be right back with the Dell Womsey Radio Show.
0: to creating the lifestyle you really want. Keep listening. The Del Wamsley Radio Show returns in moments.
1: Stop waiting. Stop sitting around. Stop procrastinating. This is your time. Make it happen. Do it now. When's the best time? Now. People go, well, I don't know. It's gonna crash. It's gonna be better next year. It's, I've gotta listen to four more classes. I love guys come up to me and tell me, you know I've been listening to you on the radio for eight years now, right? <laughs> I go, and you're not rich yet? <laughs> well, really, I'm thinking about joining next month.
0: <laughs> Do it now. Learn the skills you need to retire with real estate in five years or less. Do it now. Register for the Lifestyles Unlimited free online workshop. LifestylesUnlimitedWorkshop.com You're hearing the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want more life-changing knowledge? Access our podcast and listen on demand at LifestylesUnlimited.com under the radio tab. Now your host, Dell Wamsley.
1: Welcome back to the Dell Radio Show. Today I wanted to discuss a, a topic that's uh, come up here recently, and uh, it's kind of interesting in, in multiple levels uh, how interesting this is. It's, it's a situation where there are some types of real estate transactions, deals, that are very, very risky. They're very difficult to operate. You have to be really a professional and have... A lot of education and experience to do one of these kinds of deals, and it got back to me. That somebody's trying to do one at lifestyles, and it's one of the the deals that in our training program we tell people to stay away from. I put out this uh, message, but this uh, individual said, "Well, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to do what I want to do." Everybody has the right to fail, and this deal will probably fail. And there's an outside chance it might not fail. It depends on what he's actually paying for the thing, but. Uh, Even then, it's very disastrous. I'm going to explain to you why. So the type of the deal is called a property with a Lura. And that's spelled L-U-R-A. And I want to explain to you what a Lura is. I had uh, one of my uh, consultants, who's an expert in the field, uh, write out an explanation of what a Lura was. And I also wrote out an explanation why I don't want to do them. Um, So let's see here. Lures increase your risk. There are far more complicated regular apartment deals, much e- regular apartment deals are much easier. They require staff trained in compliance. Uh, well, what is a LORA? LORA is a land use restrictive agreement. A LORA is a declaration of land use in which the original owner developed and will enjoy tax credits exchange program for, from HUD. Uh, there's no tax credit advantage to future owners. And what HUD is saying to the builder is, we need low-income housing. So if you'll build a property and put a land-use-restricted agreement on it to where you can't lease, 50% of your units have to be below the median, you know, 50 percentile price uh, income bracket, and 25% have to be below the 25 percent income percentile bracket, Uh leaving you maybe 50% for regular rents. Sometimes it's as much as 25, 50, and 75, and it only leaves you 25% of your units that you can rent at market rate. But whatever it is, you are restricted from ever charging for those land-restricted units full market rent. You still have to lease to people that qualify for the rent. So it's not just like the government's giving you money. This is a deal where you've got to go out on the street and find people that earn below a certain level of income. So first of all, your marketing has to target poor people. Then those poor people still have to have good enough credit and high enough income to qualify for the restricted rent. Do you know how hard it is to market for people that are 25% of median income or 50% of median income? Now. Let's take it one step further. What about the 25% of the units you can actually lease at full market rent? Do you really believe? Now, remember, most of these deals were built this way, brand new, so some of these are even Class A apartments. But would you believe that somebody wants to move into an apartment complex where there are people that are in every socioeconomic bracket? So you now have a very diverse group of tenants that don't like each other. (laughs) <laughs> tell me how you manage that you know the people at the top don't want to be there with the people at the bottom the people at the bottom hate the people at the top it is an, a totally non-functional concept another part of the problem is the fact that you now have to report so every single person that you scrutinize to be a tenant you have to report back to HUD and say why didn't you take that person so now you're under all kinds of scrutiny for discrimination which is a nightmare. Uh, all of them, are at least annually, you have to have a big, giant annual audit on what you're doing. This is expensive, and it takes people that know how to do it, to do it professionally, to be able to get it into HUD and get it done right, uh, or they'll shut you down. So let's say a guy builds an apartment complex. I'll make, make up numbers. It costs him $10 million to build it. But if you put this land use agreement on there, they'll give you $2 million worth of tax credits. Well, that year, he goes to his income and Maybe he can't use it all that year. Maybe he has to use it next two or three years. He just wipes out all of his personal income taxes for, until he's used up the $2 million worth of credits they've given him. But the credits don't go with the property. So the guy literally builds the thing, sells the property the next day, and some poor schmuck's got the problem, but none of the tax credits. It's just a ridiculous way to do business. People need to be housed socioeconomically um, akin to each other so that you get along with your neighbor. I would never go so far to say one person is better than another person is better than another person as far as your socioeconomic bracket. But I will say there are good people and bad people. And when you look at people that are bad, I mean, they got no morals and they were just brought up with, you know, no understanding of what right and wrong means those people tend to be in the lower socioeconomic brackets. That's just the facts. So I've had low-end housing, and I had no problem with it. I didn't mind it because it was set up to be that. And everybody there was that way, and the staff that we used uh, grew up in that kind of a neighborhood. They understood the people living there. And so now you have a very difficult time leasing. You have a restricted number of people you can lease to. You've got rent that's restricted, right? And then you go one step further, and you have the fact that you have to do all this reporting, right? So it just makes this thing just a nightmare. I've looked at, looked at him and looked at him and looked at him and looked at him and looked at him, and they just didn't make any sense to me. One of the responses I got back from the guy who was a servicer, a loan servicer, and uh, it was his job for years, you know, to service loans, get them collected, take care of problem loans, bailout loans that are problematic, and so on and so forth. This is what the guy wrote me. He said, right on, Dell. Having worked out a dozen or more of these Laura type deals and bond finance deals, uh, as a special servicer, I can attest to their complexity and a cesspool of regulations and corruption endemic to this industrial niche. Right. So that's somebody that's actually in the business of doing these things, who is saying, wow, it's an industrial niche. Another person wrote to me. His name is Zach. Owns a lot of apartment complex all over the country. He said, I know of a deal right now where their expenses are 78 percent of their costs and they can't raise their rents. So this is the problem where this thing gets worse. Right. It's, it's in a situation where all income goes up, all expenses go up. That's inflation. So, property's value is based on the NOI, net operating income. So, I take an easy number that you can imagine over the radio. You've got $300,000 a year worth of income, $100,000 a year worth of expenses, and that is a 50% expense ratio. That's pretty typical for apartments. Then you pay your mortgage payment, and the rest is all yours, right? Well, inflation... Whether it be five percent or ten percent, whatever you want to believe it is, we'll take all of those numbers up. So let's say that the income doubles from went from three hundred to six hundred, from two hundred to four hundred. So you get two hundred thousand dollars with NOI net operating income, which is doubled from one hundred. Well the value of the properties is doubled. But let's talk about what happens when the the expenses double but you can't raise the rents. So now you remember the original number was 300 income, 200,000 expenses. Uh, now you're in a situation where the expenses have doubled four 400,000. And your income's still only 300,000 because you can't raise the rents. Or maybe it went up a little bit, but the bottom line is you're underwater. And that's what the, Zach is talking about. This particular property is 78% expenses on income. And these things have to be at 50% or below to make sense. They just don't work. When you're at 78%, this person's losing money. So, having said that, you see these deals just don't work, and everybody really knows what's going on out there stays far away from them. But there are people that are slumlords who think that, well, I'll just make it up on the expense side by not fixing anything, by not providing services. I'll cut all the services out. I'll let the place be a slum, and then I can rent all these low-end people because they won't care what kind of a product that I produce, Right. And because of that operational method, I can slumlord this thing down into oblivion to where the expenses won't rise up while the income doesn't rise up. There's a lady here that said that uh, i trying to find the exact email because it doesn't really matter. She's her, the basic question was um, that I'm not going to buy one of these things. But what about if the lure runs out? is really what her question was. She said, I'm looking at a deal that the Lura is going to run out in maybe eight months or so, and it won't be there anymore. Will that still be a problem? And the answer is yes, because even though the Lura is gone, the effect and the result of the Lura being there for a long period of time are still in place, meaning that you've now got a place filled with incompatible tenants. They don't. They don't get along together. Uh, Or they're all low-end tenants, and you've just had to go to all low-end tenants because high-end tenants, even though you could still rent 25% of units to full-market rent, nobody wants to live there. Full-market rent's not full-market when your properties run like a slum. And for these people that own these things to keep the expenses in check with the non-rising incomes, you're in a situation where they've destroyed the property. So now you're buying a property that has... Deep, deep deferred maintenance, stuff you can't see. You can go put a paint job on it, call it, you know, lip, put lipstick on a pig. But it's a paint It's It's not fixed up. You've got long-term wear and tear on stuff that this type of clientele just destroys stuff. And it's going to cost lots and lots and lots of money to fix all that stuff. Secondly. If you're really going to raise the rent, you got to change the clientele. Now, how do you go and rent to new people when you have old bad people in there? You know, and if you don't like the word bad, let's talk about you have socially unacceptable clientele and you want to fill the place with socially acceptable clientele. They won't move in. They just, they might, and then after a couple of weeks they figure out what's going on there, they move out. Just like they go, I can't stay here. My car's been broken into three times. My apartment's been broken into once. I've been threatened as I walk down the street of people asking me for money, prostitutes, crime, drugs, door to door drug delivery, door to door prostitution, midnight auto salvage. You know, they need body parts, they need car parts. They just go out and steal them from the parking lot. And that part, that legacy, of the Laura run operating property is going to take a lot of money to fix, and to get rid of those people, you're going to have to run the people off that are there now before you can lease it to new people. That's all there is to it. You can do that in sections, segments. You can get rid of the low end people first by raising their rents radically, and they can't afford it, so they got to leave. But they're so mad that you took their home where they had this government protected rent, and you took that away from them. Generally, they'll do ten or twenty thousand dollars worth of damage on the way out the door. So. There it is. I told you why. Now we'll see who actually goes out and does it. The rest of you out there, remember this. It's not the money. It's the lifestyle. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you tomorrow.